Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of Uncharted, where Al and I will be curating side A of a mixtape featuring the best songs of the new millennium that Xers may not have heard. That's right, and the parameters that we set uh, from the get-go, none of these tracks have charted. I, none of them are top 40. On, on uh, Billboard even, won top 100, I think is what right, we said. Yeah. Yep. Billboard, yep. yeah. Um, and that, mean, that, that's the, the pop chart. They could have been right. on modern rock or soul or jazz. Yeah, exactly. But none of them hit the hot 100. Uh, no top 40 hits here. Um, so it's very likely that our audience may be introduced to some new music. At least that's our, our goal. Yep. Um, you hear all the time. Xers are very quick to say that you know, music today is just not what it used to be, right. you know. But in fact, there are a lot of very talented bands and artists out there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible, the talent that uh, you just don't hear. I mean, they're not not mainstream favorites, and so much of it is retro. I mean, we have here between us probably a representation of influences from the 60s through the 90s, and it's it's... It's a very eclectic mix. Well, that's what's 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 great about this new music. I mean, people know our tastes. If you listen to our show, you know our tastes. Um, this this isn't necessarily music that the that the kids are listening to today. No, um, this is music that's still being made. Great music still being made, but uh, would would fit right in there with with the Generation X uh, music core. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and it was so much fun to to compile the list, but it was so hard. I had so many artists that I wanted to include, and just you can only pick twelve. Same here. I, I, I think we're we're going to put um, the ones that we couldn't choose. We each have twelve choices, of course. We're going to put the extra choices on our alternates and mentioned song playlist. I think I have like nineteen or twenty that didn't make my <laughs> list. It was very difficult because there's so much good stuff. In fact, um, this, we're doing something a little bit different on this show. We, we realized we'd have an issue discussing the music if each of our choices weren't familiar to the other person. Right. Uh, most of the stuff we choose, we we, we know it. Occasionally, there might be a, a track here or there that we don't know, but. Most most of the stuff that we propose for a for an episode, we are very much aware of. Um, in this case, it might have been the opposite. There were a few that maybe we we each both knew, but most of our choices were foreign to the other. So we decided we would actually swap lists because we knew there wouldn't really be a chance for matching. And we had an opportunity this week. I enjoyed it very much listening to Alan's list. Alan listened to my list. And that way we can talk about the music in maybe a little more of an informed way rather than saying, oh, wait till you hear this. You're, you're going to love it. Right. And in fact, it, it, it's strange how it worked out. I believe the majority of your list were female lead vocalists. Yes. Except it, for a few. Yeah. And the majority of mine were male except for a few. So we just decided we would female, male. We'd take one each and... We'd have a balanced list. Yeah. So I, I, I have 12 of the very best female artists and bands since 2000, and, and your list is, is just fantastic. I mean, I, I was blown away by just that synth pop 80s retro vibe. I mean, it, it's fantastic. In fact, uh, you know, if you listen to our podcast regularly, <laughs> you already know our individual tastes and it's very clear um, <laughs> because I, I mine is very much rooted in 60s soul and some funk um, some blues and, and Dave is 
pure new wave and alternative. I mean, largely, largely, not largely, all, not, not entirely. Um, and nor am I entirely sixty soul funk blues, but but it, it shines through what our individual tastes really consist of. So well, I enjoyed your list so much um, as well, and and it's evident by the fact that this whole week I was supposed to be really focusing on my picks, and I couldn't stop listening to your list. Really? Oh, no, I, I loved it. Yeah, I was actually away for a few days, and I had an opportunity to kind of listen to some music in the outdoors, and uh, I just, yeah, especially... Your first pick, which, you know, I'll let you talk about it, but uh, <laughs> man, I just can't stop playing that song. Uh, you need to hear all three of the their albums in tandem. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, maybe we should just all right, let's just talking let's, about Let's just get going. Uh, I will say one more thing before we begin. I said this last episode, too. Um, there are no Indigo Girls or Decemberists on my playlist. <laughs> they are on the alternates list, but I, I know I've introduced a few songs from, from those two bands. I, and of course, Indigo Girls would be female anyway, but no Decemberists um, on here, so um, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, it was so hard. I, we're talking about songs that did not chart since 2000. I took the females. I... I wanted so badly to put Lana Del Rey or Amy Winehouse on here, but it seemed like I'd be cheating doing that. Everybody knows the right. two of them. Right. So I you know, like you, I went for artists that hopefully a lot of people may not know. Um I think the only artist that I have that might be very familiar to to a lot of our listeners would probably be um Oh, I don't know. Well, don't don't spoil it now. Well, yeah, we'll yeah, get to yeah, it. That's true. But um, I now I have some artists that are familiar, but but I have two cases where in one case, if it's an artist that maybe was better known for the '80s or '90s or you know the, the pre millennium or past millennium, but now they're continuing to make music and people weren't aware of that. That's why I included them because they're still making great music. Or perhaps I chose a song from an artist that people know, but like a masterpiece song that just is such a deep track, but but should be their greatest single of all time. I might have made a few choices like that as well. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, it's side A, which means I get to, to start here. And I went with a tune by Susanna Hoffs and Matthew Sweet. Now, I've, I've referenced this a few times on the podcast already. Since 2006, Susanna Hoffs and Matthew Sweet have released three albums titled Under the Covers, and each one serves as a love letter of sorts to a specific decade. All songs from the three albums are covers, and all are incredibly faithful to the original versions. They're not quite note-for-note renditions, but Hoffs and Sweet make no attempt to reimagine the originals in any way. You see, these, these albums, folks, are not so much cover albums as tribute albums. And Hoffs and Sweet do not simply play karaoke here. Rather, they inhabit the songs they've chosen. Both artists have deep connections to the music they're covering, and in a child-is-father-to-man kind of fashion, you can better understand the past that their careers took by the songs they come back to on these three albums. I, of course, wanted to... to feature Susanna Hobbs. I took the females here. Um, she has so many very good covers where she is uh, either the, the lead vocalist or, or just she, she sings alone because each of them take turns with particular songs. Um, but I had to go with this one. It's Go All The Way, which was originally a Raspberries tune. Good Cleveland boys. Absolutely. They're local boys in our backyard, the Raspberries. Eric Carmen was lead vocalist for the band. Um, it is just a rocking number. And, you know, 
this is one of those compilations, well, three compilations that, you know, to, to choose what songs from the albums are best, it's entirely dependent on which originals you prefer, honestly. Since again, there's, there's no real creative license taken with any of these tunes, but there is one empirical truth, and that is Hoff's vocals are the star of this show. So when she takes lead vocals, the songs soar, and her sweet and alluring pipes, I mean, they just give an especially fun twist to the largely male-dominated song selection. So for this reason, as I said, I've chosen Go All The Way, and this is from Under The Covers, Volume 2. And so I, the 70s, because this is, this uh, is the original the, was 1970. Yeah, exactly. You uh, mentioned her vocal. I was I told you I can't get enough of the song. I've been listening to it around the house all week. And I was in the shower this morning, and my wife came in, and she said, is there a new song by the Bangles? <laughs> and I said, no. She got all excited. Uh, oh, what a great song. Oh, it, it really is. Yeah. I, You know, volume one, is it focuses on the 1960s. Volume two is the 70s, which is, of course, where this track comes from. And the third volume that they they put out together uh, is, a, is a love letter to the 80s. What's really trippy is that Susanna Hoffs does a cover of a Go-Go's tune. Oh, nice, nice. So it is, it, it really, it, it's just so bizarre to hear Susanna Hoffs singing Belinda wow, Carlisle. that's cool. Um, and it's a very faithful rendition. I'll, I'll save it for you to, to hear. I'll, I'll put it on the alternates list. But um, yeah, no, I, I went with volume two, and I knew you would actually enjoy this one. I mean, it's pure jangle pop, yes, which I know you love, thing. right? And, you know, the Raspberry's Eric Carmen is himself a huge fan of this cover. He excitedly told Hoffs that he'd always wanted to hear a female vocalist sing lead on the song. And folks, her performance is pure pop perfection. kind of, I don't want to say misnomer, the fact that it's on the 1970s because, of course, the song, the original song came out in 1970. But the song itself is a throwback to the early 60s. Absolutely, yes. And so, really, they kind of cheated a little bit. They, they, they did. another 60s song. <laughs> they did. Um, that's what I love about the Raspberries is their sound was very much, it was right about, I, I'd say most of that 50s revival, 60s revival stuff was at the late 70s. They were kind of on the on- onset of that. Yeah, they were. Um, the beginning of that there. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I'm just a sucker for those classic rock and roll chord changes and those harmonies, those Beach Boy type harmonies. I mean, mm-hmm. what a song. This, this, like you said, I, I've always liked the Raspberry song. I haven't listened to it forever. And to hear it with these just really crisp and warm guitar sounds and with the harmonizing between the two of them. Oh, and you know, their voices, they blend just remarkably well. It, it's, it's uncanny how perfect they, they blend. Well, not only do they, do they blend as far as sound good together, but the fact that 
you know, it starts off, and I think Matthew Sweet begins to sing, and then she comes, like, like, there are three parts here, right? There's the lead part, there's the harmonizing, and then there's the backing vocals. Right. And it's almost like in a round. Yeah. Where they go back and forth, and they take each other's place seamlessly. She's still clearly the, 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 the lead, but they take each other's places throughout the song in in a way that just yeah it, it's it, it's it, it almost you almost think there's more than two singers right it's mind blowing now and, and you know for future reference if you like what you hear I would strongly encourage you to listen to Susanna Hoff's version of a different drum that's okay. on Volume One uh, that that's her cover of the Stone Ponies Linda Ronstadt of course and the Stone Ponies and she does a, a a just an amazing cover of Carly Simon's You're So Vain. Um, but what's really, really just so cool is she actually, she attempts and she masters male-dominated artists. She sings Maggie Mae. Mm, nice. She does Bell Bottom Blues. I mean, it, there's some quality stuff here, and it's just, I can't get enough of these three albums. I mean, I, I just, I put them on, and I, I get lost. And Matthew Sweet, in fairness, he does incredible work, too. In fact, he does Warmth of the Sun on Volume mm, 1. Nice. And you would love it. Oh, I mean, yeah. It is, oh, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna, I have so much stuff to listen to now, thanks to you. <laughs> That'll be on the top of the list there. All right, it is your turn. All right, well, uh, it's, this is kind of strange. We talked about, um, I think, off-air, that a lot of your choices, you wanted to introduce people to new bands or new artists, and you just kind of picked a song that was really representative of their sound. Much of the time, yeah. I was kind of on the opposite end. Um, I had specific songs that I was really, really kind of high on or have been for a long time now that I wanted to introduce to people. And, and, and I don't necessarily know much of the catalog of the artist, which is really strange because there are a couple of songs in here I absolutely love and I, I, I don't know anything else by the artist. Logic would dictate if I like the song so much, I'll probably like the rest of the catalog from that artist. I just haven't gotten around to um, listening to them. Sometimes it's quite daunting when they have such an extensive catalog. Oh, yeah. And it's not like even we have to go out and buy the CDs anymore. I mean, with Spotify, we can explore catalogs very easily, but I just, I just haven't. And this is an example of one of those bands. I will say, it, it, how, do you, how do you find new music these days? Well, recommendations, of course. Sometimes you hear something on television. But the algorithm thing is spot on. It's scary. I hate the, the fact that a computer knows my tastes better than I know my tastes. But if you have your Spotify set up, let me, maybe you have a playlist, and if your playlist runs out, you can have it set up where it automatically starts choosing music for you based on your interests and what you like. And so several of these songs I came across because I was at work, I had a playlist that ran out. Next thing you know, I'm, you know, have kind of lost time and a song comes on. I'm like, what is that? That is incredible. And I'll run over and make sure. And this is one of those songs, my first pick. Hmm. It's from a band called Dr. Dog. Now, I know there are millennials out there screaming, say, you don't, you don't know Dr. Dog? Like, every, like, they were a pretty big band for the millennial generation as far as the alternative music scene. Just kind of passed me by. I was raising my kids. That was probably when I was stuck in my, no, I'm never going to listen to anything past, you know, 1995 or whatever. But, um, if, you know, from what I understand, they're kind of this like indie psychedelic folk rock band from oh, yeah. Philadelphia. What's not to love from that? Um, their two biggest influences they cite are the Beatles and the Beach Boys. That's tailor-made for me. Yes. Oh, yeah. So the fact that I haven't... Ex in fact, I think they're playing in Cleveland, or they just played in they, Cleveland. They played last night. Last night. House of Blues. Yeah. And see, and like there, I missed... Watch, I'm going to really get into this band, because I, I read somewhere they're going to quit touring. And so I probably dismissed my chance of seeing a band that I will eventually really, really love. 
But they uh, they released their first record in 2002. Their most recent album came out in 2018. Um, this was from their 2010 album, Shame Shame, and the song is Where'd All the Time Go? Um, man, when I heard this the first time, the, first of all, you know I'm more of a music person than a lyrics person, right. okay? So just the variety of instruments. It almost has this kind of like wall of sound feel, a very Beatlesque wall of sound kind of feel. And you just have like little accent instruments. Like you have a banjo in there as an accent instrument. Um, you have these harmonies, again, these Beach Boy-esque, you know, harmonies. Soaring melody, you know, I love melody. It has the soaring melody. And then at the end, this raw guitar solo, which is just incredible. And so, yes, I need to go listen to more of Dr. Dong because this song is one of my top 12 favorite of the last 20 years. Well, you know, I, I had never heard of Dr. Dog until I had listened to your list. And I mean, it just, musically, it's fantastic. I mean, it starts off with that looping synth yeah. you know, that abruptly shifts to an acoustic guitar, bass, drums when the lyrics come in. But lyrically, which, you know, that's my bread and butter, I was just fascinated by this song. She gets dressed up like a pillow, so I, she's always I in bed. I love that line, yes. <laughs> I mean, that, that one just blew me away. But, you know, I suspect that most people would believe the song is about grieving the death of a loved one. In fact, I kind of cheated. I went online just to look and see what people, you know, had. It's not cheating, that's research. Well, like, yeah, I, I, I did. I, once I had your picks, I, I didn't do the kind of research for yours that I did. Oh, I didn't either. I, I only put down my sonic interpretation of yours. Right. I didn't do any research. But, but I did, because I, I was listening to these lyrics, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I had an idea of what I thought the lyrics might be about, and I wanted to see if I was right, and... 201, most people on, on the internet just kept insisting it was, you know, somebody he loved had died or it was the end of a relationship. I, I disagree because I think the she in this song is time personified. Ooh. And I think, you know, in, in this reading of the song, time is, quote, on the go, way too fast, way too slow. The parade in the lyrics suggests to me our inability to mark time. That is to, to keep up with it as it passes us by but yet time turns and stops at hospitals and funeral homes. So to me, the contrast was beautifully stated with, with clever imagery. I just think it was, you know, somebody, you know, coming to that point in their life where they realize everything they've missed out on and, you know, the few years that remain and, and making the most of them. To me, it was just powerful. But, Man, it's a cheerful song. Yeah, well, and that, that was the best part because I, I also saw a number of people online had said that Dr. Dog, they're... Their most upbeat, the most ebullient songs are always about loss or death. And I thought to myself, oh, that, that's interesting. Um, this would be case in point, I suppose. That, it's the only song I've ever heard by them. But, yeah, me as well. So. so, But no, it was it's a great tune.
So I apologize to all those Dr. Dog fans out there that are that are just probably freaking out because I'm I yes, I, I I'm sure they're great and I will carve out some time to find out more about them in the near future, but after I go through all the cover albums by uh, Susanna Hoffs and Matthew Sweet. All right. Yeah, no, you're right about that algorithm though. I mean Spotify, it's scary because every time a song is recommended I, I play it and it's my new favorite song. And then, you know, the very next day, a new song is recommended. It's my new favorite song. It's just, I... So you you dug this tune? You liked it? Oh, yeah. yeah, I I I figured you'd like it. I loved everything on your list but one. (laughs) And we just replaced that one. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) When we get there, we'll talk about it. Right, we'll talk about it. But, um, okay. Well, my number two, this was one of my non-negotiables. There were five artists that I, once it was determined I was going to go all female, well, Hell, they, they were already non-negotiables before we decided I was going all female. This was one of them. Um, this is a band out of Boston, and it's actually Stephen Colbert's favorite band. They've actually really? been on the show several times. Yeah. Um, the name of the band is Lake Street Dive, and they are just unbelievable. Uh, lead vocalist Rachel Price's spectacularly husky alto is, is kind of the keystone of, of Lake, Lake Street Dive. It's a band steeped in Motown grooves, Muscle Shoals soul, Beatles melodies, Beach Boys harmonies, and pop divas. From, and disco, from, apparently. And disco, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the pop divas, especially from Dusty Springfield to Amy Winehouse. I mean, they, they do it all. And her gospel pipes, an old school jazz sensibility. It's the straw that kind of stirs the drink. And her coos and swoops, they anchored these rousing anthems from a group of jazz-bred musicians, able to form a sound that feels like warm sunshine on a summer day. I don't know. I, I'm very serious about that. Without question, Lake Street Dive is very difficult to categorize. So, yeah, the, the song that I chose, um, it's not necessarily characteristic of what they do uh, because they interweave genres effortlessly and to dazzling effect, making every album kind of a surprise package. Um, I, I was introduced to them. It was another song that was recommended. This was, this was the first song I had heard which is why I went with it. Uh, I was in the algorithm from Spotify. I listened to it and I just, I, I kept listening to it. I couldn't stop. And the, the lyrics, the lyrics aren't particularly prescient. I mean, I, there's nothing visionary about the lyrics, but the music on this one is just, I, I mean, it just takes the best of disco and it's just this jam, right? And then I started to explore their, their catalog and suddenly I'm, they're, they're one of my absolute favorite bands. Uh, so for today's mixtape, I guess I haven't named the song yet. I, I chose "Call Off Your Dogs," which is featured on the band's fifth studio album titled "Side Pony." Uh, came out in 2016. the The track thumps and jangles over a disco groove with backing harmonies, joyous keys, swirling strings. It is an unbelievably catchy musical hook that that sounds like it was plucked out of a time capsule, really. And you'll want to sing along before you know any of the words. I mean. I, that's what to me is is so remarkable it it just feels so comfortable and it feels so it's one of those songs that almost on first listen it sounds so familiar and it just 
Uh, I, I can't recommend this band enough. Their entire catalog. If if and when they ever come to, to concert in the Cleveland area, which I'm sure they have, of course, I, I, I've only been aware of them now for the past year and a half, but I, I'm there. I, I can't get enough of Rachel Price's vocals. It's just amazing. Hello. Yeah, I mean, if anything, anything's like this song, I'm, I'm going to be a fan. I mean, it's uh, I love the retro groove right away, like you say. I, you know, you'd ordered your songs going from from um, go um, go all the way to um, call off your dogs, and it was a perfect transition. I know you probably did that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this is good. You know, this is going right into the next one. Um, yeah, nice strong rhythmic vocal. That's what I noticed about her vocal. It's it's a rhythmic vocal. Yeah. Um, you know, different kinds of vocalists. Obviously, hers. She uses her voice as a percussion instrument uh, as well as a, as a lead vocal. Uh, nice little horn flourishes leading into the choruses. Uh, they're kind of subtle, but they're there. Uh, and the bass player is just clearly having fun. Oh, yeah, and it's bass a stand, it's a stand up bass. I yeah. mean, they, it, this is old school. Yep. Um, every one of these musicians in the band, and now they're a quintet. They were a quartet at the time that this album came out, but they've they've since picked up a fifth member. Every one of them, they they grew up listening to parents who were musicians. And I mean, they cite the Beatles as their biggest influence. In fact, there's a lot of Beatles uh, tribute work in, in their in their catalog. But they all had kind of migrated to jazz before they'd even met one another. And that that's what they were playing. They're, I, I believe they went to the Boston Conservatory. Oh, um, you can tell that they're, they're yeah. musicians. And, yeah. and um, I didn't know. See, I didn't know if they were just vocalists playing over studio musicians, or if they were musicians oh, no, themselves. No, no. And in fact, Rachel Price, she's in some of the earlier albums that I've that I've since listened to. She, I mean, she just has that voice that the audience wants more of. But what's nice about Side Pony, the album that this comes from, is that she kind of takes a step back, which is really kind of brilliant because the band is so incredibly talented. And a lot of times that was lost, you know, in, in just the, the power of her of her vocals. Um, but yeah, they're, they're all, they were a jazz quartet initially, and then they started to broaden their, their music base, started playing gigs in Boston, and, and they are slowly, I think, gaining some recognition. But still, they've, they've not had any song. Uh, and th- there are, are several albums out there now. Not one has charted on on the Hot 100, which to me is just absurd because they do have songs that could easily fit, you know, the, the expectations of the of the pop world, and still nobody has heard of them. And mm. they have a cover album. I'm all about covers on this episode. I tried to stay away from covers, but when you lead with Susanna Hoffs and Matthew Swede, you just kind of open the floodgates. They have an album of covers that is incredible. Mm. And it includes a, a cover of the Jackson Five, um, a cover of George Michael's Faith, which is so jazz heavy. It's it's it, I, it just blows me away. But yeah, this 
band. I mean, from start to finish, every album. They just came out with a new one, 2021. Hmm. Uh, I almost went with their their the lead single from that album, which is called Hypotheticals. But again, this was the first one I heard, and it just felt right. So good stuff. Call yeah. off, call off your dogs. Nice, nice. All right, so uh, my next one here, and go back up. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, um, here, this is an example of a band that's been around. Um, since I say like 1990, 90, 91, 92, um, from Scotland, and it's another it's a jangle <laughs> jangle group. Oh, without question, um, much in the same European tradition as like Adele Mitri, uh, except uh, they're not manic depressant. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I should, not. Wait a minute, Adele Mitri is just depressant. But anyway, so yeah, uh, this is Teenage Fan Club that I'm going to talk about, and I've chosen a song that came out in 2016 uh, from the album here called Thin Air. Now, I was aware of Teenage Fan Club uh, when they were out in the early 90s. Um, in fact, I remember seeing them on Saturday Night Live in 1982 when they played. And I believe we might have played some of their stuff at WFL as well. I think the I'm, concept was one of the songs we yeah, played. Yeah, I'm positive we did. And, and I liked them. Um, at the time, I wasn't sure if... For some reason, I thought they were kind of another grunge band, but they, they weren't. They're definitely like a jangle, almost like a Matthew Sweet, that whole kind of... Um, you know, era, I should say. Um, great thing is they continued to make music. Um, one thing, I, I didn't know this until I was kind of doing a little bit of background this week, and Kurt Cobain regularly, during the early 90s, regularly referred to them as the best band in the world. Really? Yes. And they're not grunge. No, They're not no, grunge. Not they're not all. metal. They're, they're just, they're, again, it comes back to the Beach Boys and the Birds are the two best that yeah. I could I was just, use I'm, to explain this band here. Yeah, I was going to say that the massive hook in this song bears a strong resemblance to 60, 60s folk rock band, the, the Birds. I was hiding, I was always in Again, I, I loved your list. I mean, it's it's a bouncy jam, you know, with distorted, honey-coated riffs, kind of gauzy harmonies that kind of float above. Lyrically, uh, the song marks that moment when you, you must step out from your comfort zone, you know, and it's especially prudent here because a loving relationship's at risk. The song smacks of heart-sick desperation to hold on, you know, and it's just, yeah, again, I mean, the harmonies are, are key to this one for me. I, I was just 
I loved it. It was it was it was the birds. I mean, that's that was a, yeah yeah. It's, it's, immediately, it's, it's what the, I thought it's of. the birds and some Beach Boys harmonies built in there. Um, in in fact, there's a video for this song, and they're all old now. Half of them are gray. Really? <laughs> you know, it's like you, watching your dad out there playing. Um, they don't look anything like they did back in the '90s, but uh, but man, they still sound great. What? I'll, I'll be honest, Dave. I mean, just hearing the song. You wouldn't think that these are right, old men, right? I mean, they sound crisp and they sound—they sound young, yep. frankly. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's that California sound too. There's a little bit of that California oh, yeah. sound in them as well. Um, they're still going strong. They just released an, an album last April, which I haven't listened to yet. Again, I have a long list of stuff to catch up on. Uh, but like Doctor Dog, um, the harmonies and sweeping melody of this number are just perfect. You already kind of touched on that. Um, I, I really, it, I always talk about the perfect pop song, and, and, and there's there's many of them out there I've identified. But if there is such a thing as a perfect pop song, this might be it. It's just so tight. Like you said, the harmonies, the 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 the, the production. You know, I, you know, I'm a snob about production, right? I don't like it when it's too polished. I don't like it when it's too sleek. Um, this is this is polished in a good way. It, it, it's constructed in a good way. It feels natural, um, but it's not raw either. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain. But uh, but man, this one, this is another one of those songs. The first time I heard it, I just could not stop listening to it over and over again. Don't think I'll ever get sick of it. Yeah, no, I, I was really impressed with this one. And I, I knew Teenage Fan Club. As you said, we played them mm-hmm. you know, on college radio, but I, I never paid much attention. So I, I heard this one, and they are definitely on my short list of what I need to go back now and actually listen to. And listen to some of their, their stuff from the 90s, too. Um, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a song I like even better than this is my second favorite song from them. There's a song called I Don't Want Control of You, which came out, I think, right after, probably in 93, 94, maybe. Maybe, okay. maybe a little later than that. I'll put it on the alternates list. Um, it is just, it's like this. And this is great. Great, great, great. This is maybe just even a notch better. But I couldn't choose it because it was from the last millennium. Right. Otherwise, I would have chosen that one. Huh. No. It was two in a row that, that you threw on there that just blew me away. So... All right. Well, I said I had five non-negotiables. Lake Street Dive was number one. This was number two. And it is Joss Stone. This one comes from the Soul Sessions, which came out in 2003. And I went with Super Duper Love. Now, what's incredible about Joss Stone is that she was 15 years old when she recorded this album. This I know she I knew she was young when yeah. she started her recording this, career. The, yeah, by the time it was released, she had turned sixteen. But yeah, she was a fifteen-year-old white British girl. <laughs> this pretty blonde. Was this her first album? Yes. Okay. She was singing covers of American soul classics, you know. And odd as it may sound, it was a recipe for an unparalleled musical achievement. In, in two thousand three, Joss Stone, uh, she was just as I said, this pretty blonde teenager from Dover, England. She was signed to Virgin subsidiary S Curve Records. And she had already greatly impressed the label with her remarkable voice and and plans were made to record her debut album featuring her own original compositions. As a side project, the label flew her to Miami where she recorded with a crew of 70 soul legends. Um, And and those recording sessions, they went so spectacularly well that her planned debut album of her own original material was postponed. And the Miami recordings were instead used as her official debut. So that, that explains the Soul Sessions. Um, the songs that she chose, uh, and my understanding is she, she chose them. She, she knows her, her, her soul. She knows her blues music. I mean, her parents must have an incredible record collection. Most of these are very obscure tracks. 
uh, super duper love, I would be willing to venture a guess that uh, very likely none of our listeners have heard the original. I hadn't no, heard no, the original. No, I, I didn't know it was a cover. Yeah, every song on, on her first album is. What is truly incredible, I, first of all, I want to do a, next season, I want to do a, an episode that features covers. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I have a few ideas on that, but she has one that just, it is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. She actually covers the White Stripes on this album. Oh, nice. Uh, she, she reworks Fell in Love with a Girl and turns it into Fell in Love with a Boy. And when you listen to that track, she has just the, the complete control over that song. She makes you forget the White Stripes entirely. I mean, she owns that song and in her in her version of it. Who was um, the original artist for Super Duper Love? Uh, you know, I knew you were going to ask. That. I did, oh, doesn't matter. I just oh, thought, no, no, no. I just I, hadn't heard of it. So no, no I, big deal. I did look it up. Um, well, I mean, it was just the, it was this thing is just retro blues rock, right? Right. But it was so cleanly recorded. That's what that's what I noticed about a lot of your picks that were retro. Do you did you find it? Yeah, I found it. Um, yeah, I, the original. Like I said, it's a very obscure track. It was written by Willie Garner. And it was originally released by Sugar Billy in, oh, okay. in 1974. I've never heard of Sugar Billy in my life. Um, it, it, it is. It's a funky, upbeat number. It, it truly showcases the strength and depth of her voice. And, I mean, the album, which, as I said, appropriately titled The Soul Sessions, I mean, it, it remains an absolute marvel. It sounds as though it were recorded sometime between 66 and 74. And guitar, snake, and curl, but... Always one step back from the front. I mean, organs bed down and don't leave. The backing singers, they sound as though they've come straight from church. And, and the rhythms move between a lover's sway and kind of a smooth mid-funk. Um, but front and center is just that smoky voice of an R&B veteran who was nothing of the sort. I mean, she was a 15, 16-year-old girl. It's just mind-blowing to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm... I it's a natural love. gift because you don't have that many years to actually hone your craft, right? right? No, absolutely. And she just, I mean, she's still recording. Um, and, and now it's all her original right. work, of course. But she just has that voice. And I mean, say what you will about, you know, a lot of, you know, the talent that, that is out there on the pop charts. This is definitely not popular music. I mean, this is blues. Yeah, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's still a very upbeat, poppy song. Oh, it is. Yeah. And she actually, she has... Um, I don't know if she's actually hit uh, the Hot 100. I know she has had albums that have hit the, the Billboard 200. Um, but she, uh, when this album came out, she was interviewed several times. She she made the rounds on MTV. Um, I, she began to to make a name for herself. She she developed a very devoted following. So it's very likely that some of our listeners know her. Um, this is not an obscure artist by any stretch, but she. Yeah, she's just not the mainstay uh, that on, on the pop charts that she should be. But again, it's it's so blues oriented and right. it's so so retro that I don't know that there is a place for it in, in today's charts. Well, it's bad. I mean, if, if we were used in a movie in, in a way that or the television oh, show, true, yeah, this is the kind of song that be placed perfectly in a particular scene, kind of like the Billy Vareth song, right, and become a hit when it normally wouldn't be hit without that support. Um, you know, I'd mentioned I was kind of away out in you know 
the woods a little bit last week and uh, listening to your playlist. So the first song came up, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of head bopping to it. And then came, you know, the, the was it Lake Street Lake Dive? Street Dive yeah. And I'm kind of <laughs> dancing to it. And when this thing came on, and this is a great walking song. This is just a great, I feel good, it's a good day walking song. Uh, I'm going to definitely, I want to make a walking, I, I walk a lot now. I want to make a walking playlist. I'm going to put this on it. going back to her the retro blues rock that's cleanly recorded right i've had this discussion with other people there's so much classic stuff you know from led zeppelin you know even before early beatles go back to even the blue stuff in the 50s and 40s and imagine if they had today's recording technology how it would sound of course we'll never know but we kind of can imagine what it would sound like when you have artists like this that are able to take advantage of modern recording technology and just how great it sounds and that's what I just I love hearing this style of music with such a very crisp even though and we'll talk about your next pick a little bit where they tried to make it sound even a little more retro by degrading the quality right it still sounds great yeah it still sounds (laughs) really does Uh, her vocals are just so natural so effortless um, and and fun it's just so much fun Um, loved it I I knew of Joss Stone I hadn't listened to a lot of her stuff but I was aware she was a blues singer from from England and uh, I was really glad that you picked this one yeah well I, I have to credit my wife because Joss Stone was one of Gail's artists and she made me sit down and, and listen to the soul sessions and I, 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 she had my complete buy-in after the first track. But um, yeah, a lot of my picks here, I, I have to credit to my wife. She introduced me to many of the artists that I'm going to be naming uh, today and, and next week. But Joss Stone was one of hers and I kind of usurped Joss Stone. I, I, I I'm fairly confident I, I love this artist now more than my wife does. But nonetheless, I mean, it's just, she's she's incredible. She really is. So I hopefully, if you've not heard the Soul Sessions, hearing this track is going to blow you away. Nice. All right. Oh, my next one. Oh, I'm, I'm most excited to talk about this song. I said, I'm not a lyrics person. I mentioned to you there were a couple of songs, two in particular. I wanted you to pay attention to the lyrics. And this is one of those songs. This song is a masterpiece. I'm talking about 
the song Password by Ben Folds and Nick Hornby. We talked um, a couple episodes ago about the two of them. We talked about Smoke mm-hmm. um, from Ben Folds 5 and how Nick Hornby, who's the, the British novelist, wrote a series of essays in, in a, a volume that he released. Uh, the essays taking different songs that he's connected to emotionally over the years and Smoke um, was one of those songs. And, and a little anecdote was that Ben Folds didn't actually write the lyrics to that one. Correct. He wrote the music, yeah. but he co-wrote that with uh, with another songwriter. And so we actually called up Nick Hornby and said, hey, I, I appreciate the kudos there in the essay, but I didn't actually write those lyrics. And then they struck up a, a friendship and they eventually uh, produced an album together called Lonely Avenue, where Nick writes all the lyrics and Ben writes all of the music. And it's a good album. There, there are some really nice moments in that album. But this by far, and, and it's funny because this one, I never hear anyone talk about this. I, I you know, when, when it came out, there were a few other songs that were kind of featured when I saw him live during this tour. He played a few, but not, not this song. And what makes it so special? Well... It's kind of a story song. I was going to say, it reads like a short story. It's Absolutely. kind of a short story song. It's so unique. So uh, basically, I'll just get, there's, there's a narrator, and he has, you get the idea, he has suspicions that his girlfriend might be cheating on him. Yes. But it's one of those like, oh, don't be crazy, whatever. But she's not there at the time, and he thinks, well, maybe, maybe I should just look into her account, her, her email account. And so he begins to try and hack in to her email account. Yep. And all the while he's insisting he loves her, which I'm, I, I was thinking, you know, I don't know if breaking into her uh, email is necessarily proof of that. <laughs> well, he's definitely <laughs> suspicious. And the refrain is, I know you. In other words, it's kind of a, a, almost a, a hubris of, uh, I know you well enough that I can hack your password. You know, this is how close we are. So you're right. There's kind of an ironic little twist right. there in the sense that, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit of a trust issue, right? Anyway, so he's going through all of these different potential passwords, you know, names of pets and her sister and her favorite, um, her crush, you know, which is David Blaine and all, right. all these different. And, and what makes the song so great, it's hard to describe something when you just need to listen to it. But as he's singing, the, the, the backing vocalist, which may, I think, is him, he's just overtracked his, his vocal, um, is spelling out the words. Well, and you know, you even told me to pay attention to the lyrics. And I was listening to the lyrics, but the spelling... I was slow on the take for the spelling because he's just rattling off letters. I'm like, what the hell is he saying? Yes. And so I, I went back and, you know, I, I actually had to go to Genius online and I had to look at the lyrics. I'm like, what? And then, it, it, of course, it all fell into place. I, I, I understood. Um, well, and as, as he's seeing the letters, okay, to, to, the, to the password that is being typed in, I don't know if it's like a xylophone, probably a xylophone or a glockenspiel, I don't know. But you hear the little uh, tings of what would be the keys being pressed on. Right. This is one of those songs that you, every time you listen to it, you pick up something new. I didn't pick all this up the first time I listened to it. And so that part in of itself is great. Um, then you have the, the, the music, which... Oh builds uh, as the song goes. So it starts with this nice relaxed tempo, uh, but then the tension increases. As he continues to not be able to guess the password, you have these, of course, intense piano because it bent folds. You have these strings, then a key change, a major key change. And then the best part of the song is when he hacks in. Yeah. And it was was the second or third time I heard the song where I realized what happened because he finally puts in a password and then you hear... The, not the little tiny xylophone that you would hear with the key punch, but it, just a huge chord yeah. of a chime 
demonstrating that he hacked in. And then right after that, a low piano hit of like three or four low bass keys, boom, meaning, oh crap, I was right. Like yeah. his, his worst fears were confirmed. He gets in there, he finds out all this stuff that she's been cheating on him. And I believe one of the, you know, words, one of the uh, passwords may have been her boy, was that the one that ends up? Is it her well, boyfriend's you know, I name? Was, I was wondering about that. I have I, to go back and. Read. I didn't know if it was Barcelona okay. because it's right after he spells Barcelona that he gets in. Right. Or if the password was. I don't know. Well, it would make sense because Anthony is, is the name right. of the guy that she met in Barcelona. Yes. So it makes sense that that's where she is probably. She's in Barcelona right. she's meeting not, her Well, she's friend, not in Tulsa. <laughs> or Tulsa, right. Yeah. Meeting her friend Jane, right, right, right. But yeah, I didn't know if the password was Barcelona or if it was A-N-T-H-O-N-Y, which he does not spell. So I didn't. That's what I love about it, though. There's some interpretation. And then the refrain changes to... I don't know you. Yeah. And he's a sucker and he realizes, and then the very last line is just killer. It's like, I know eventually I won't even remember your face. Yeah. Which, which, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that last line is just fantastic. I know you. You think I don't, but I do. And I don't forget So I can do this I can pass the test You went to school in Chicago Your mom's maiden name is Dupree Your favorite actor is De Niro Your birthday's 03083 First of all, I just I have to throw this out there because I get that you had to maintain rhythmically, you had to sustain that repeated pattern, repeated pattern of triplets when you're spelling out right. passwords. I get that, but this bothers me nonetheless. Who the hell spells Monty with an E? M O N T E Y. I I've never met anybody who spells Monty with a T, with with an E, but none. <laughs> I, it was just this minor point that I kept coming back to, <laughs> but this song is incredible. I, it, it's just like it's, like I said, it reads like a short story. I mean, you already gave the you know the the entire plot diagram, so there's no need to to rehash. Yeah, that. sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but musically, the song it introduces this punctuated staccato notes as he gets closer to his discovery. It reminds of Bernard Herrmann's score to Psycho. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a stabbing sound, and then. You know, there's that darkened swell that introduces us to Anthony. It's just, I mean, it's Ben Folds. I mean, musically, it's just, I am, 
you know, I... I think it was Anthony because he says, he gets to that point and says, she went to Barcelona, the a-hole's name was Anthony, and then right. I think that's when, yeah, so that was, I think that was the... Best. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's either Barcelona or I, I couldn't really tell which one he was going with, but um, yeah, it, it's just... Oh. And what a way to take like technology and pull it into a song and, and, and something that's still current to this day. I mean, obviously people are still untrue in their relationships and a lot of it's on social media or, you know, right. communication, electronic communication where it's a little bit easier to hide uh, from your partner. And so, yeah, and, and I, I could talk all day about this, but then just the narrator and the way Ben portrays the narrator um, as he starts out as happy go lucky, but little suspicious to just realize, I mean, just almost embarrassed, almost a pathetic you know that feeling if you've ever been betrayed it's just that feeling of like oh man i can't you know i can't believe i was snowed like that and then you're angry and then you're hurt and then that last line which is just like right across the juggler man it is yeah. like this is a masterpiece song i don't not i don't know why this isn't talked about more i don't know why this isn't taught you know in creative i mean if, if i taught creative writing i would play this song as a, as a way of, of of telling a short story through not only the lyrics of the song, but musically, because the, the the music is telling as much as the story as the lyrics are. Oh yeah, yeah, without question. Now it, it's it definitely a winner. I, I I get I still get chills just even talking about this song. <laughs> this may have been was, why I wanted to do this episode. Really? <laughs> because I wanted to talk about this song on a podcast for a long time. Well, you you came to me and said we were doing this episode. Yeah. Before the second season even began, I mean, right? This yeah. was the it conversation. May have been because of this song. <laughs> yeah, this was a conversation we had in you know off season. Because so. I want to get it out there. I want to get the discussion about this song. It just, yeah, I, I love Ben anyway, and Ben's great in so many ways. But man, he and Nick just hit it out of the park here. Yeah, no, they do. I, it's just, oh, it's so good. Um, okay, well, my number four. Uh, this one is from a 2013 album called "Baby Caught the Bus." It's by a band called Clary Brown and the Bangin' Rackettes. Great <laughs> so, name. Uh, the, the, you know, the pool of old soul and, and R&B, I mean, it's extended apparently all the way to Australia because proof positive, this is a Melbourne-based sensation, this band. And leading lady, Clary Brown, I mean, she bellows out songs reflective of old doo-wop era, but reimagined to kind of fit the essence of today. The, the reverse retro theme, though, it permeates the band's debut album, and I call it nostalgia or revivalism or retro leaning, whatever. I, they are, there are walking bass lines and swinging beats and blaring horns. I mean, the tracks are compact, rarely passing the three minute mark, but plenty long enough to grind and groove in all the right places. What's so interesting about this particular album, this track, this band, as you said, they intentionally, they deliberately kind of, you know, they, they, What's the word? That, they degraded. The production they're, is yeah. gritty. It's dirty. Yeah, very. And it, you know, it's, it almost sounds as though you're listening to a very old, very played, very used 45 of this song that has seen much better years. Uh, <laughs> because it, it it is. It's it's just uh, it's fuzzy and it's it's yeah. I, mean, I love it. Very I, I, dirty. I, I wrote down. I said you can almost smell the spill, spilled beer and stale cigarette smoke when you listen to the song. Oh, you can. The type yeah. of club it would be performed in. You know. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it is something else. And the girl can sing. Oh, you better believe it. You know, this is their best known track. Um, it, it, the, the name of the song is "Love Letter," which I keep forgetting to actually announce <laughs> the song. Is I get so excited, I want to just get in there. Um, but the best known track I from the album, uh, it's "Love Letter," which is what I'm going to share with you. Um, 
you know, it's a song that I had heard first. This wasn't Spotify's algorithm. This was a Heineken commercial. Hmm. It was actually featured in a Heineken commercial not long after the album was released. And I heard the song and, and I, I was like, well, who the hell is that? Because it sounds, honestly, it sounds like it comes from Phil Spector's Wall of Sound. I mean, it really has, it, it is so complete in every way, the way that they have produced and the way that they've recorded that it, it sounds like it comes from another era. And I, I started going through my collection. I started, you know, and, and finally, even on the internet, I could not find who was in this commercial for the longest time. And then, then I, I did. Suddenly, you know, they were everywhere. The tune, it features saxophonist Darcy McNulty, and she's sparring with Nick Martin's hard-hitting kick and snare as Brown's powerful vocals just kind of punch through the wall of sound with, with this sultry voice and this husky growl. And she has attitude to spare. She sings... And as she sings, you, you sense that she's holding back. That's what I love. Because there, there's just this smoldering underneath. And it, she never bursts into flame. I mean, the Rat Cats, their backing vocals, they perfectly capture the essence of the early girl groups of the 60s. Their doo-wop is perfectly timed and pitch perfect. They never overshadow Brown's smoky vocals, though. So, you know, lyrically, the song is even more retro if such a thing is possible. Because... Who writes letters anymore? That that's that to me is just the the marvel of the entirety, yeah, entirely of of this song. You know, she's writing a love letter, and in that letter, she's going to tell her lover what she wants him to do to her. I mean, there's you know they're, they're having fun with this, but I mean, it's just oh, it's it's. I should incredible. I should write a love letter to my wife and send it through the mail to our house because she gets the mail. That would be kind of a romantic thing to do. It would be. I, I did not get the feeling listening to this song that her letter is romantic oh. as much as... Uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to the lyrics. So <laughs> I have no idea. Well, it, it, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, family-friendly. It's, it's a PG uh, right. uh, song. But, yeah, I mean, it, she's... Uh, there. There's some... There's some very strong innuendo in this letter that she's looking for a good time. <laughs> vibe is kind of in the tradition of Amy Winehouse. It's yeah. probably the closest thing to Amy Winehouse that you've chosen. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I have a lot of, my entire list almost feels retro until you get to side B, uh, at least. But this one, um, yeah, it's very close to Amy. Um, but but like I said, it, it just it, it just smacks of Phil Spector. I mean, this, is, this really is like the Crystals, the Ronettes, I mean, Darlene Love. It sounds like very deliberately, very purposefully, it sounds like it comes from the wall of sound. I mean, it's just, oh. Yeah, it's There's incredible. another one you have that sounds, I think, even more on 
part two. Oh, yeah? More Phil Spector-ish. Yeah, we'll get hmm. to that next, next episode. Uh, all right. All you, right. Your turn. All right. So I believe this is my fourth pick. And... Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, this song makes me so mad. <laughs> this song makes me angry. Every time I listen to it and I get mad and my, my, my fists clench and my wife's like, why do you listen to this song? And she's like, well, what, what makes you so angry about this song? And I'm like, did you listen to the lyrics? Another story song. Okay. Uh, this, is, uh, this is one that if, if anyone knows any of the songs on this list, they might know this one because it was really high on the modern rock uh, tracks. Um, oh, it was, it was starts huge. in 2008. Yeah. And that's Sometime Around Midnight by Airborne Toxic Event. I've had an opportunity to see them several times. I'm trying to look through. I've seen Ben Folds a few times. We talked about Dr. Dog on having seen them. Oh, Teenage Fan Club. They haven't toured in America in, in like ages. So mm. if they ever do uh, come through. But I, I had an opportunity to see. Um, in fact, I think uh, Airborne Toxic Event is touring again right now. Our planning a tour. So, Are they? So check him out. Um, anyway, so frontman uh, it's is Michael or or, or Mickle I've I've heard both I always go with Michael Michael Joliet who he's from LA Um, he's actually written a a really interesting autobiography but he also before the band was formed or while they were forming the band um, wrote short stories and had a few published in some pretty reputable literary magazines really yeah he's he's a heck of a writer hmm and uh, but he also started this band, and you can see in his lyrics that he's got he's got the knack, he's got the chops. Um, but this is actually based on an actual real event that happened yeah. to him. Yeah, it is. And it's not a it's not a news story. It's happened to a million people, I'm sure. But you break up with somebody, uh, you go out with your buddies to a bar, and guess what? She's there, yeah. and she wants to make you jealous. To the point where you just drink too much and you walk home in self-pity. <laughs> <laughs> That's the song. <laughs> That's it. Uh, um, actually, this was, was number one on the iTunes Alternative Rock track of that year. Yeah, so, uh, 2008, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah 2008. Yeah, it was, oh, it, it was huge. Yeah, this, I mean, I didn't know many of your songs. This one, I mean, like, as you said, if anyone knows any songs on the list right. it's going to be this one yeah in the song um, kind of like Thunder Road does not have a chorus no it doesn't it's just a succession of different verses that build and build and build um, yeah this song it just makes me angry I don't know why I, I mean, I, we all know that feeling of we talked about it last episode right being dumped uh, but, but, but then having it kind of rubbed in your face afterwards is just uh, oh man uh, he, he, he makes you feel when you listen to the song he makes you feel like that man in the bar yeah. Right, humiliated, hurt, and then eventually walking home drunk and in, in, in self pity. Right? He, how's the line go? I forgot the line goes, but he's walking home, and you know it's it's obvious to everyone but you. You're making an idiot of yourself, basically what he says. Yeah. But the best line in the song is uh, in the pianos. This melancholy sound check to her smile. It is pretty. It's poetry. Yeah. Just it's, poetry. It's very good. Right? Because he's he's torn when he sees her, and he be, he has these good memories, and he remember. But then, yeah. Yeah, just got to listen to it. But man, this, this song gets me going. And it starts Sometime around midnight Or at least that's when you lose yourself For a minute or two As you stand Under the bar light And the band plays some song about forgetting yourself for a while And the piano's this melancholy soundtrack to her smile 
In that white dress she's wearing You haven't seen her for a while Her character is just evil. You know, she is. She's come in. She sees him. She, she does. She tries to make him jealous and is, you know, parading around her her date for the evening. He says you can smell her perfume, which then conjures the images of you know the two of you lying naked in each other's arms in bed. And it it, it is. It's a very angry yes. song. And this, in fact, this was on my breakup list. Oh, was it? Uh, I removed it because we were going to stay away from like angry songs, angry songs yeah. and songs with some distance. I feel like there's been some distance. I feel like there's been a few months. Yeah. This maybe is half a year. Right. He hasn't moved on. She obviously has. Yeah. So that's why I did not include it. Yeah. No, I, but I mean, he just, just, you can hear it in his, I mean, he starts off, starts off rational enough, but by the end, I mean, he, there's just this growl in his voice. Well, cause he, he's drinking. He's, he's yeah, getting he's, drunk. He's, he's stone drunk, stone yeah, he's he's gone, and he's he's walking, probably not walking, stumbling home, and it just even his vocal, you know, it kind of goes off key yeah, at the it, last verse because yeah. he's oh, kind of out of control. It's brilliant, and you know, this one, I mean, right away, I it, it's it's so reminiscent of eighties U two, which yeah, I know. oh yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, love yeah. U two. I mean, yeah. you listen to this song, and it just immediately this is a Joshua Tree number. I mean, it has that that slow fade in, and then it has. Just musically, it, it it's an accompaniment to to that that sound with a little bit of Springsteen. Yeah, oh, well, they're they've made it very clear. Right. They're huge Springsteen oh, I know. fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's just. Well, you mentioned you too, Adam Clayton. Actually, that was his favorite song of the year. He, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So how, how about that? Like you know, Adam Clayton says. Yeah, but yeah, no, I you know I I was listening to it. I'm like I, I'm. It's no wonder you picked the song because you know there there are two of your big heavies and but it is just an incredible song and and I've always liked the Airborne Toxic event. I mean they they are a a band that you don't hear I don't hear enough about. Well, they, they, the, their first two albums are really solid. The third effort and I think there was a fourth one in there weren't weren't quite as strong. No, they've had four albums. Yeah, and and um, their their violinist ended up leaving the band. She started her own band. Okay, um, so they're kind of off and on. He went to, ended up um, writing this autobiography, and I think there's an accompanying film he made with it. But hmm. they're back on tour. So, okay. but yeah, it's one of those. This is what I like about them. It's they're not just a, a rock band. He's not just a, the lead man in a rock band. Right. He's also an author, and he has other. And again, it's 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 Michael Jolliter. I should know this, but you know these new bands. It's not like when I was a kid and had an opportunity to go and just like research everything about them and how to pronounce everything. So, yeah. if you are listening, uh, Michael or Michael or Mikkel, uh, I apologize, <laughs> but I love your stuff. Yeah, no, I, it is. It's it's a fantastic tune. Um, and again, I, I have to my, my I tip my hat to you because you were. Well, he's the Airborne uh, Talks Events. One of those bands, Gaslight Anthem, is another one. This this new crop of alternative rock musicians who um, oh, just and, and they're very very open about their gratitude towards Springsteen and their inspiration. Oh yeah, from yeah. Uh, growing up listening to Springsteen. So you know, people, so many people that aren't Springsteen fans just think about Springsteen being this just kind of classic rock uh, performer, which you know, in essence, he is. But he his influential reach was far beyond. That. In fact, he even, Springsteen's even famous in saying that had he not already established his, his sound in Born to Run, right after Born to Run, the punk revolution really took off. And he knew he couldn't just become a punk artist. But Darkness on the Edge of Town was his attempt to strip everything away from do the exact opposite of Born to Run. And that kind of was his punk album. Yeah. Okay. Well, my next one was number three of my five non-negotiables. <laughs> 
And this one should come as a, this is a no-brainer because I've, I've referenced her before. Um, it is Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings and the title track from their 2007 album, 100 Days, 100 Nights. Uh, you know, among the biggest keys to the Dap King success was that Jones was a fantastic singer, a masterful soul vocalist in the best tradition. Uh, you know, Etta James, Betty Labette, Emma Thomas, I, she could wail when she needed to. She had access to a gentle falsetto when the song required it, and she had impeccable control with a full-throated tone that just grabbed your attention. Jones wasn't a fresh-faced youngster imitating her heroes either. She was doing this. She was singing, and she was at it in the 70s, uh, singing back up on funk and disco records while seeking her own big break. She moved to gospel in the 80s uh, when her style kind of fell out of favor. And in between her early career and her revival in the mid-90s, she worked as a prison guard. <laughs> so, you know, she, she did armored vehicle security work, and, and she brought that same tough, no-nonsense approach that those jobs required to her music. So the band and lead composer Gabriel Roth in particular, they had a firm understanding of the material they were channeling because this was not pastiche. I mean, it, it was soul music that came along about 35 years late. And the production was so spot on, uh, it was like a time warp. Drummer Homer Steinweiss, I mean, he inhabited this, his decades-old beats so thoroughly that he made them feel fresh again. And, and you got the sense of musicians in a room together. Horns blended in the air of a studio before ever reaching the mixing board. The, the music was a throwback for sure, but it was so uncontrived that it didn't come off like one, really. Um, but of all the classics in her discography, there's nothing more quintessentially Sharon Jones than 100 Days, 100 Nights. The opening swirl of horns um, sets up a, a darker, airier vibe right away settling your ears into this sound before the rhythm section kicks in and Jones drops in with her powerful gospel-trained voice. Lyrically, it's a song about love, as so many others are, but this one is about the uncertainty of love on both sides. It's about that awkward period of courtship and falling in love when you never quite know when things might fall apart or be derailed. It's about the most fragile period in anyone's emotional life, and it just drips with tenderness as a result, as well as a foreboding sense of foresight that things aren't faded to, they're just not fated to work out. Now, Jones, though, she shows her Augusta, Georgia roots at the song's midpoint when she pulls a classic James Brown move, calling on the band to slow down and give her time to think, a command that they dutifully obey. Then begins this mid-song call and response segment where the Dap Kings intone first 100 days and then 100 nights, which meshes sublimely with Jones' lead vocals. You can just feel the depth of her love and, and the ache of her heartbreak all at once. My favorite track by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, and it showcases everything that was wonderful about her as a soul luminary. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, she, she passed uh, a couple, couple years, years ago, ago. Yeah. and I mean, this, you know, this is exhibit A on, on why, I mean, her her passing was, was you know, so hard um, for, for her fans because she was... She was the real thing. How old was she when she passed? That I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. Um, she was one of the. She's one of the few, uh, for, uh, a handful of songs or artists that I knew from your list. Yeah, may have been because you introduced her to me. I'm not sure. I've, I've listened to her for quite a while. In fact, they have a great Christmas album. Oh yeah. Well, I, I used the Hanukkah song from. Oh, it. that's right. That's I, right. I, I, yeah, 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 last yeah. season. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, she's just the big big balls. I think is the the one I, from that album that's yeah. the best. Oh, <laughs> uh, and the entire album is. Fan. I'm going to pull from it again this this uh, winter season if we 
do our uh, a Christmas uh, mixtape. But yeah, I mean, I I will continue to miss her for decades to come because I mean, she was she was not she wasn't paying tribute. She wasn't it wasn't she wasn't emulating anyone's style. She was a soul legend in her own right, and she had been doing this for so long. It just took her forever to get her big break, right, right. you know. But she, yeah, she's just one for the ages. One hundred days, one hundred nights, to know a man's heart. One hundred days, one hundred nights, to know a man's heart. And a little more before he knows his own. You know a man. As I said, that was my third non-negotiable. I knew I was going to include her, and just, oh, I, I, I would, I, I couldn't not include her. I'd be betraying my own, you know, love of her music if I didn't. So I'm going to sound really old here because I want to know why this, why music like this isn't popular anymore. I mean, I mean, there's, there's room me. for it, but it's kind of like it's like it's it's now become a niche sound, like jazz and, and more recently rock, apparently, right? Um, it, it's just it's become I don't know are they on Decca Records I imagine they probably are I mean it just seems like it's become come niche which in a way it's great because we can still l- listen to it um, and this is another example where the recording is so good yeah. and you can kind of imagine where some of this classic you know soul from the 60s would have sound like but uh yeah, I mean, this song is so much fun. And like you already talked about, the call and response. Um, you can close your eyes and you can see, right, Sharon and the Dap Kings up on stage performing. Oh, yeah. I'm guessing. I'm guessing all the all the, the, the band has matching suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, matching, I don't know what, whether it's the bass player, the saxophonist, where he's kind of out front a little bit and they're going back and forth in a playful way. I mean, oh, you yeah. can see this happening from the recording. And, and just the smoky room and the yes. smell of, you know. Yes. Uh, the, the the liquor yeah a I bunch mean, of businessmen in suits drinking martinis yeah <laughs> I don't oh, know yeah. I, it, I just got done watching Mad Men it, it just has that vibe I mean it's it's incredible yep so good 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 stuff good stuff all right my next pick see I should have integrated yours better I had to go up and down my my document here ah here we go oh yes oh yes <laughs> Oh, this one's not quite as family friendly, but I had to talk about it. <laughs> I laughed so hard, I, especially that that last that last run yes. of the chorus. Oh my good god! Okay, so I, there's a reason why I put this in with with password because there's two two ways they relate. Um, one, this is another story song. Mm-hmm. This is another short story yes. in song form. This has got to be my favorite song uh, story song of all time it's called Drive By and it's by Glenn Phillips and if you're not familiar with Glenn Phillips you probably are because he is the lead vocalist and frontman for Toad the Wet Toad Sprocket, the Wet Sprocket yeah. and in the 2000s he, re- he released a, a series of, of solo albums this is from his first one in, in 2000 um, but it's a story, but it's actually a true story. Yes, it is. And for a long time, he wouldn't say, all he would say is it's a story that didn't happen to him personally, but happened to a friend. We now know who that friend is. Yeah, he announced it on the Adam Carolla show. Yes. And, and it was 
Ben Folds. Ben Folds. So at, this actually happened yep, to Ben Folds at age fifteen. Yeah. So again, spoiler alert. I'm, I'm gonna just I'm gonna talk about it and and you know pause the recording if you want to listen to it first and come back. But it, it's it's just a masterful retelling and and, and the, the, it's such an economical retelling. There aren't too many lyrics in here, but the stories. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where you listen to it and and your mind just fills in all the gaps, right? But basically, there's a dog in the neighborhood that's barking, and this kid. You imagine the kid's a, you know a teenager, maybe a young teenager, and his dad just says that's enough, and he grabs a shotgun he gets in the car to shoot this dog well i was gonna ask is he just a bad shot or was he just trying to shoot the chain well i haven't gotten that oh yeah yeah you just well we can edit it out (laughs) that's okay (laughs) so they so they you know get in the car and they go to get shoot this dog and and the kid is just mortified right he's mortified i'm sure he's embarrassed his dad's probably half drunk i think he alludes to that and he um obviously doesn't want this dog to die and so he does this self bargaining thing which we've all done right he asks god that he to please spare this dog and he'll quit i won't get into too many details right but, yeah yeah but he'll quit doing some things he promises if, if god would just spare this dog what's so great about this song kind of like the it's very similar to password and, and when we get to the climax of the song where in the ben fold song he guesses the password and it kind of pauses for a second and then we go in when everything changes yeah well in this case you get to the climatic part where the father Ames is gone and he shoots and and the dog is gone and the music stops and you're like ah oh. and then the music comes back almost like the dog jumping up and running away because he accidentally hits the chain and not the dog yeah and then the dog is saved but what's so great is like all self bargains he doesn't hold no he doesn't he doesn't hold to that bargain but God is such a great God because he still saved the dog even though he knew. He wouldn't change his ways. It is another masterpiece song. Yeah. Well, not only is he a great God, he's a good goddamn backwards dog. So <laughs> that's the lyric. So, but no, I, I laughed hysterically. So, okay. So I, I realized spoiler earlier. I, okay. I, not yeah. only did I give the spoiler to the audience, I spoiled your story. <laughs> that's okay. Tell him, but it, so you take it that the dad meant to shoot the yes. dog and that's how I accidentally hit the chain. Yes. Okay. Because I couldn't tell if he was trying to kill the dog. Or if he was just trying to shoot the chain so the dog ran. and Because either way, he gets rid of the dog. So I, I wasn't The reason why sure. I think he was trying to kill the dog was because in the, in the denouement of the song, they go to the dairy freeze. Right. And they're yeah. sitting there kind of, you know, just father and son. And he said, we, we never spoke about it. We've never spoken about that day. So I, I have a feeling if he would have hit the chain, he probably would have bragged and said, hey, look, look at that. You didn't really think I was going to kill the dog, right? See, oh, that's, that's you know, a good point. Okay. Um, it was just this awkward thing where the dad just the emotions and the alcohol got the best of him. And he was kind of embarrassed. And the son was kind of like happy that the dog was survived. But, you know, kind yeah. of embarrassed for his dad. And they just never talked about that day. And it was it. You know, the, the setting, I mean, all, all of his friends are out in the streets because it's a military holiday. He doesn't name which holiday, but... Memorial Day or Veterans yeah, Day. Yeah, that's, that's my guess, yeah. But, <laughs> it just, it's yeah, better in literature. So, I mean, all of his friends are off school. They're all out in the street. He's trying to disappear but because he's the he's the, the getaway driver. Right, you know? right. That's a, yeah, the song and, is called Drive... Did I say it's called Drive-By? Yeah, Drive-By. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's... Oh, I did. I, I laughed hysterically. Driver for the drive-by of the neighbor's dog. Dad had always said to him, and he said, "Come on, son, get into the wagon now, and I'll go get my shotgun." It was a military holiday. The kids were everywhere, hid behind the steering wheel, and tried to disappear. Tried to speak. 
couldn't dad was whistling and drinking beer and pray dear god if you save this stuff i will never get high i will never jack off i will do all the things that I should but not i'll be a good boy from now on it's such a great storm and maze ben folds didn't write it himself uh, yeah really but yeah. I'm glad Glenn, Glenn did. So, yeah, this is another one. As soon as I knew we were doing this episode, this is a song, again, that nobody really knows unless you... And that's... I, I mean, Glenn Phillips is more obscure than, than Ben Folds' solo, right? So if you have listened to Glenn Phillips' solo, you would definitely know this song. But um, lots of people have... This This album, by the way, uh, I believe it's pronounced Abulum. It's A-B-U-L-U-M. Abulum. I don't know. I'm terrible pronunciation. Pronunciation. This is one of my favorite albums of the 2000s. Hmm. Pick it up. It is. There are probably four or five really, really, I mean, they're all good, but four or five really good songs. There's kind of a post-apocalyptic um, uh, story about uh, in the future where people live in this old abandoned Costco building. Um, there's one called uh, In My Darkest Hour that he wrote when his dad died. Basically, he was holding his dad's hand in the hospital when his dad died and he wrote this song. I mean, it's just some heartbreaking stuff, some funny stuff. There's one called uh, Men Just Leave uh, about these California guys who hang out with these girls and they get pregnant and then they just hit the road. I mean, really tragic highs and lows on this album. If I, There's one other album I'm going to recommend with the same fervor as this, but this one, check it out. Yeah, I um, I mean, I I loved Toad the Wet Sprocket. I mean, I loved their, their you know, their output in the, in the early 90s, but I I haven't listened to them since probably the mid-90s. So, I mean, my understanding is they're still... Or did they oh, still, yeah. In fact, they're coming to Kent Stage. Either they came or about to come. Yeah, to I, I, knew they, I knew they were touring. I didn't know if they had new material. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I, yeah, I certainly have never listened to Glenn Phillips' solo work, so... Yeah, he's, uh, just, he's, in, he's in that sweet spot. Again, you know, Toad's kind of that jangle oh, alternative yeah. with Gin Blossoms. That, that's my sweet spot there, and so his solo stuff. It's, it's just so personal, too. Um, you know, a lot of artists, I, lo- I love Bruce Springsteen. I can't say I necessarily relate to Bruce Springsteen or to Billy Joel or to Bono uh, or to, you know, Tom York or whomever. I feel like Glenn Phillips, like almost an alter ego like if if i would have gone a different path and had any semblance of musical talent that's probably the kind of music i would make those are the kind of songs that i would write so he's kind of a kindred spirit to me Hmm. very cool yeah no i i love this song but i i'm gonna have to are the are the rest of the song is the rest of the album in a similar vein or no like i said there there's that post-apocalyptic song right but but i mean they're all acoustic and or uh, they're all acoustic bass, but 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 this is pretty bare bones. Right. Not all the songs. Okay. The one about his father is also very bare bones, but okay. there are other ones so that are full they're, band. So they're musically eclectic. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, not, they're not. They don't sound like Toad necessarily, but okay. they're yeah. Yeah, I just didn't know what. But to he's very singer songwriter. Oh yeah. No, definitely gonna have to pick it up. All right, my last track for side A. Here we go. Um, this one is by Kristen Diable. It's from an album uh, titled Create Your Own Mythology. It came out in two fa- 2015. The name of the song is I'll Make Time For You. Oh, I like this song a lot. Oh, this one is just, it's killer. Uh, first of all, Kristen Diable, she she is an artist that she, she put in her time. I mean, it took her forever to actually get a record deal. She she just, night after night after night, performed in the bar. She, she picked up any venue that was willing to give her time. And she sometimes did it for 
nothing. I mean, she just was trying to get her name out there and just kind of like what, what we had talked about Huey Lewis, what they had done, you know, in the early days. Right. Very similar. She was actually invited to compete on The Voice. Oh. And she turned it down. Good choice. And instead, yeah, instead redoubled her her efforts and just, I mean, just kept plugging away until she was discovered. Um, her, her sultry, soul drenched Southern trawl. I mean, it, it combines with cascading guitars and then just the simmering sing song organ, girl group harmonies, and, and a strangled psychedelic guitar solo. That you know, it's it's. It's a mid-tempo, heavily reverbed. Yeah, I was going to say, the reverb and the echo and the percussion is incredible. Sometimes that can get gimmicky, but in this song it fits. Yeah, no, it's it's perfect. And from the opening drum flourish, I mean, this song just pulsates from your speakers like a modified Phil Spector production. I keep saying Phil Spector. But there's another one that's even more Phil Spector. (laughs) But this one I agree with you. Yeah, Um, and it's a perfectly syncopated guitar notes and an expansive organ organ tone. you know, they, they unleash a laid back groove that can be felt long after the song has ended. I mean, it's just, oh, it, it this one, I get chills whenever I hear it. But, but in, it is Diablo's lovelorn, bluesy New Orleans croon, though, that really leaves you wanting more. I mean, she has that same grit lining in her throat that Amy Winehouse had, but she sings from a place of levity that Winehouse never found. Do you know who I thought of? Who the closest? I and mean, I might be off well, on this. Well, she's she's definitely Bonnie Raitt. Not Bonnie Raitt. No, because that that's who I always compare her to. Beca- and maybe because of the retro sound, I didn't think Bonnie. I'm, I'm thinking I, Dusty Springfield. Yeah, in I the see style, that. maybe not in the vocal. I can see sound that. the tone itself. Yeah, but the whole song reminded me of something Dusty Springfield would have been yeah. all about. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, totally makes sense. I'd love to see her play with Fitz and the Tantrums. That would be awesome. That would be a great show. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I, critics and fans alike, I mean, they continue to compare her primarily to Winehouse, which I think is really unfair. Um, like I said, I she reminds me mostly of, of Bonnie Raitt. She just has, uh, there's something about her guitar playing. I, I don't know. I don't. I can't put my finger on it, but that's who I always think of when I when I hear her, her music. Um, regardless, Di- Diablo understands the power of nuance and restraint, and she uses it to her advantage. Uh, the result is just this femme fatale noir voice that, that, you know, it's knowing and luminous and sensual and it makes it, you know, making any comparison to another artist futile, really. Um, futile? Futile? Futile. Futile, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, so I'll make time for you, though. I mean, it opens side one of Diablo's second album, which is titled Create Your Own Mythology from 2015. It immediately sets the tone of an album that just combines classic pop, swamp, jazz rockabilly and, and smooth country by way of Patsy Cline. And from start to finish, Diablo strings together arrangements that tap into her varied musical interests. And it's all filtered through a lens that neatly walks this line between Chris Isaac and Roy Orbison. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, I love this album and I'll make time for you as the best track on it. Your loneliness wasn't such a familiar friend If I
she was not one of my non-negotiables, but I, I I'm glad you included it. That's oh, great it, it is. It's it's just I. She she has the talent, and sadly, I don't know that she's put out a, a second album. I don't know if um, I, I don't know if she's touring. I, I I know nothing about her beyond this one album from 2015. Um, I again I, I discovered her from the the Spotify algorithm because I'll make time for you showed up. I listened to it and I said I I need to listen to this album, which I did, and many times. I know nothing else beyond this album. So if she's still out there, if she tours, I here's the thing. I have, unlike you, I have only seen one artist out of my 12 in concert, and that's Regina Spector, um, which is side B. And I, oh, she puts on a hell of a show. But I, I want so badly to see every other artist listed here and... Well, hopefully they'll start touring any. again now that hopefully hopefully we're not there yet with COVID but but yeah Diablo I mean she ooh. and when you say fits oh yeah that that'd would be, a good that'd show. be an incredible show so. um, you know have her open and then have their, have her like join uh, them for some songs would be cool alright so I guess I have the last pick of this episode and so I okay so I said Ben Folds may be the most recognizable Wilco of course is going to be the most recognizable yeah, yeah. but um I'm going to choose this song because a lot of people, you know, Wilco has been called the American Radiohead. That's kind of one of their titles. Yeah. yeah. Why did you say it that way? Well, I just, I, first of all, I love this song. Okay. 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 <laughs> this, this song was, I can't say it's my favorite on your list that, that, that you prepared for today, but holy hell. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, that, yeah, yeah, the yeah. back half of this song. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're going to get I, I'm going to let you talk about it. Obviously it's your pick, but here's the thing. I have never liked Wilco because there's just that fuzzy distortion. I mean, they it's just a, a dirty sound that, you know, it, it it's discordant to me. Well, it's it's time. all it's alt country Americana. Yeah, I granted, but the earlier stuff. Yeah, I just I've never been a fan. And then you give me this song and I'm like, where the hell did this come from? I mean, it's just I I can't even put into words. I mean, I want to talk about it, but I'm going to let you well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk it first. About it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're from Chicago, um, one of the greatest alternative rock bands of the last 30 years, um, fronted by Jeff Tweedy. Uh, he formed the band of the ashes of the old alt country band Uncle Tupelo in 1994. So Uncle Tupelo broke off. So what can I possibly say about Wilco? Well, you got to take the journey yourself. You know, Alan doesn't like the early part of that journey, but it, uh. it starts off really conventional, kind of alt country Americana. But I think the album he's kind of talking about and the album that gave him the label, the American uh, Radiohead, uh, was the album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah. And that's the one that's very, very experimental. It's, it's very uh, dark in places. It's, it's just deliberately spazzed out. Except distortion. for a heavy metal drummer. That's a great Yeah, song. but I mean, it's just, it's messy and fuzzy. Yes, it's, and it's, it's, and that, that's, that was what I knew of Wilco. Right. And I, so, and I like that. I personally like that, but I can see why it's not for, yeah. for everybody. That's such a snobby thing to say. It's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I understand that, okay? Yeah. I, uh. The reason why I picked this is because a lot of people quit listening to Wilco around this time. Yeah. And they came out with this album, which is my favorite album by Wilco in 2017, called Sky Blue Sky. Now, I picked a song from this album earlier on our home episode. Did you? I did. Do you remember the song where basically the guy is trying to do domestic chores because his, his loved one has left and he's keeping the house in order and hoping that she comes back? He never kept anything in order when she was there. Yes, okay. I, I, I have no idea what the name of the song. I remember your, yes. I remember your discussion about it, though, right, your, right. your introduction. So so, in, so this the reason why this album is famous, unfortunately not because of the album itself, although Wilco, true Wilco fans, I believe, really like this. this but... 
let's go, let's talk about Pitchfork, okay? Yeah, and I, I think I, st- I told the story oh, last good, time. Good Lord. Pitchfork um, is on the bleeding edge of alternative and, and hip-hop and rock and, and even some, some retro-sounding I, stuff. You talk about music snobs. But, but it is the most <laughs> snobby site. Oh. As soon as you have any whiff of commercial success, um, your ratings go from like 9 and 10 down to like 5 and 6. You know, yeah. the Decembrists were famous for that. A lot of bands were famous. Wilco fits in that category. But what makes this particular album so... Um, important in the whole lexicon of our current pop culture was it was the uh, writer of the Pitchfork Reviewer, the reviewer of the Pitchfork article for this album in 2007 that labeled it for the first time Dad Rock. And that's where the term Dad Rock came from. This was Dad Rock? From this album. Huh. Yes. Basically saying that Wilco had lost its edge. It was no longer, you know, we talked about it. If you go back to to some of the earlier stuff, the experimental stuff, that stuff was pushing the limit. He felt like this album, they basically turned into just kind of laid back, um, you know, classic rockers. But you know what? To me, this is the sweet spot of Wilco right here. This is is where it's at. So you know what? If it's dad rock, I will proudly embrace the label because this is some good stuff. Possible Germany Unlikely Japan Wherever you go Wherever you land Say what this means to me I'll do what I can I don't see dad rock in this at all. I mean, this is like the Almond Brothers in their prime. You right. know, this is... I, well, that, well that, that's, they would call that dad rock. Almond Brothers, they would say anything a millennial's dad would listen to or a Gen <laughs> Zer's dad would listen to is dad rock. Springsteen. Okay. So what they're saying is here is Wilco turned into a okay. classic rock artist. Okay. I get you on that. I, I was thinking like artists that should have called it quits many no, years ago. No, no. They are playing they're, but In their rock. mind, they're saying they jumped the shark because now they're playing it safe. I think I completely, oh, I, I disagree. I completely disagree. disagree. Even though some of their the, the subjects of their songs have turned more domestic, i.e. the song about doing laundry. Um, the, the, okay, so... Let's just talk about the song. <laughs> um, if you're gonna, if I, if you like the show and you like our picks, listen to Sky Blue Sky. That, that's actually, I said there are only two, three albums I'm going to recommend. Um, but this song, and this is one of the first songs I heard when I was kind of getting into Wilco. I listened to a podcast about their music. Um, I, I kind of went into Spotify and kind of random, randomly played their stuff. And this came up pretty early. And this was the song that really drew me in. Um, this song is perfectly produced. And performed with what I like to say, Steely Dan-like attention. Yes, I, you know, it sounded to me like it was like an outtake for Katie Lied. Yes, I mean, I, I can totally. Say, it just has yes. that vibe. In fact, the second half of the song, or the, I, I call it the epic guitar solo or guitars solo, <laughs> because there's more than one guitar that Jeff is playing off each other when he overdubs, is extremely reminiscent of Walter Becker's signature style. Yes, um, it, it's a very. It's, you know, Steely Dan and Walter Becker was famous for harmonized guitars. 
Not Boston did that, and they're not the only artists to do that, but Steely Dan has a special sound with their harmonized guitar, especially guitar solos. And Wilco, I'm not sure if it was an intentional homage or not, but whatever, like, it's so good. Yeah. And I want to say the guitar solo is like three minutes. It could be a song in and of itself. Oh, yeah. And what, yeah, I mean, it's the entire back half. I mean, you know, for, for, the, for the first three minutes, it's this mysterious soft rock ballad with jazzy chords filtered through stoner country guitar licks. That's a good way to describe know? it. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jeff Tweedy, he's mumbling about separation in this long-suffering voice, essentially. I never did fully understand the lyrics to this song, but I don't think that was the point of the song. I have no idea what the song's yeah. about. Well, it's impossible. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's Impossible Germany and then Unlikely Japan. Yeah, I don't Japan. know if I said the song or not. Impossible no. Germany is the song. Yeah, impossible Germany, Unlikely Japan is repeated you know, I always took it at that. that, that and I, I kept looking for a World War II connection. for, And it, I don't think that was it at all. What this song is about, I have no idea. Well, I think it's his loved one is gone. And he's wondering where she is. And she said, it's possible. She's not going to Germany. It's unlikely. And yeah, right, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He was probably stoned at the time. Well, and Who I, are we kidding? But I, I love thought, it. Yeah, I thought maybe. I mean, it's definitely about isolation. I thought right. maybe he was singing about traveling as a musician. I I I don't care. That's I'm, why. You know, I'm a lyrics now guy. Now you know how I feel yeah, about I'm music. I'm a lyrics guy and I don't care because... The music is another instrument. Yeah, because the first three minutes, the, the first three minutes are good. The last three minutes Ooh, so are... That's what makes it great. They, they're, they're just... It's perfection. The guitar solo starts, it goes back and forth and, and what was great is it's almost, it's almost jazz-like. Yeah. In in the sense, even though it's Jeff Tweedy pretty much playing all the guitar stuff, um, it, it kind of goes. Each each guitar part has its own little moment in the sun, right? But then it resolves itself. It comes back to then the basic chords of the song. Think about like a Coltrane, you know, which starts off with my favorite things, and it's pretty conventional, and then it just kind of goes off the rails. Yep. But then it comes back at the end. That's what this song does. Oh yeah, I mean, it just builds into a majestic twin guitar epic. You know, it's mellow, it's dulcet, but it's it's a duel. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, coming from harmonized the left, dual guitar. Yeah, coming yes. between the left and the right speaker. I mean, it's it's a duel, and it just absolutely stuns. And if if you surrender yourself to this back half of the song, I mean, it'll take your breath away. Like I said, I've, I've never cared for Wilco. What I knew of them, you know, was just noisy and discordant. And and this though, this is the kind of song that nobody ever gets right. And it, it makes me want to reevaluate the band and its music. Well, at least entirely. at least listen to this album. And yeah, if you I'll, like it, I can suggest a couple other you like. I'm, I'm going to have to. Summer Teeth is another one I think you like. It's actually before some of their their, their stranger more experimental. Okay. It's a little more alt country, but well, um, yeah. I mean, I just I was listening to this and I just. I've listened to this track probably more than anything, more than anything else on the list of twelve. I can't say it's my favorite. I mean, my favorite is coming up on side B of of your songs, mm-hmm. but this one, I mean, musically, it is probably probably the the most 
extraordinary song musically that I've heard in a very long yeah. time. This is another one I was really excited to, to talk about. Um, and, and again, like, like I, I was playing it in the car the other day, and, and my wife, it was just the beginning of the song, and she was like, eh, this is a little bit boring. And I'm like, no, no, you, you, have, to, you have to sit down, you got to put your full attention, put on the headphones, listen to it from the beginning to the end. You will not, I guarantee you will not say it's boring. It, it, it builds on itself. It's almost, it's almost classical in the sense there are a couple movements in the song. Uh. And then it resolves. But yeah, and this is just a, a mass piece of production. Again, I talk a lot about production, and it's important to me. And Wilco, sometimes, like you said, it's very dirty and stripped down. And this song, it was handcrafted, but not over-polished. It's not polished. It's just crafted. No. No. It's constructed. It, 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 it's, it's built perfectly. Yeah. Now, I... I <laughs> because when I saw Wilco on your list, I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I got to listen to Wilco, you know. But then, I mean, this song came on, I'm like... This is Wilco. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, yeah, Dave, you, you, oh. I mean, I'm like, I'm not worthy. I'm going to pull, no, no, I'm going to no, pull no. Wayne just, and Garth on just, this one. I mean, it is just, it, it's one, it's incredible. So, well, that, that's it. That's, that's, that's side our, A. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Of course, we haven't gone back and listened to this broadcast because we're still <laughs> making the broadcast, but I, I have a feeling. Um, we may be a tad more enthusiastic about this music than some of our other episodes. Maybe. Well, and part <laughs> We're of geeking it, out here, yeah, folks. Well, part of it is just you know it. Hopefully, as as we said, we we're looking to introduce new music to our listeners, which is not to say that we expect you don't know these songs, but we're hoping that a few of them are, are new to you. But you know, this is outside of our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not you know what we do is seventies through nineties primarily. This though, you know, this is the last 20 years and there is incredible music being made today. You just have to get past the Hot 100, I mean forget the Hot 100 and just look to, you know, the 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 rock and the the alternative and the the, the alt country and, and there is amazing work being done and yeah, I am excited. I mean, this is some of the best this is one of the best collections of music, I think, together that we have. Oh, it's going to be a great playlist. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. Oh, it's great. I don't know how to promote it on, on social media. This one, I've been trying to think, how do I promote this one um, well, without I, being wordy? We'll call it like a, like a, like a new, millennium, new Millennium mixtape, Uncharted. Okay, that, that works. Um, a new, but, that's kind of a nice uh, millennium, a new Millennium mixtape. It kind of rolls off the tongue yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I like that. All right, well. Um, That's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. going to come back next week. We're going to talk about our other 12 choices. Uh, then we are going to, again, attempt to put this in a sequence that, that might be a little challenging. This one is going to be very difficult. <laughs> it, it's all over, well, it's not even all over the place. I mean, you have really three or four distinct styles that I'm not sure are going to flow neatly into one another, but we're going to do our best. All so. right. Well, uh, that's all for this week. And you know, you'd think I'd have this memorized by now. <laughs> you'd think I would have this memorized. Well, that's all for this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that too fast? No, you said okay. that, that was very well done. Very well stated. Uh, but for now, <laughs> press pause, lift the needle and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. 